Holy Father in heaven, whose ability to penetrate through our hearts and to know our needs and our desires, we come this morning to you, praying that your holy hands may pierce through the clouds, that you may touch each and every one of us and meet us at those points of our needs in a powerful way. As your word comes forth, may the Holy Spirit cause our hearts to open and our ears to hear you and for us to obey each and everything that we do that we may be beneficial to your kingdom. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Living above your head, living above your head, that is the subject that the Lord has put upon my heart to share with you today. And I want to give my gratitude to Father Joe and uh, Sister Sarah and the leadership of this church for giving me this opportunity to be part of your fellowship this morning. It's always a blessing to be here. And I'm so thrilled bringing greetings from my family. Very, very unfortunately, my wife could not come again today because uh, duty has called and she has said, yes, sir. Now, one of our challenges in this society, in this day and time, is something called stress. Now, we are such a busy people that we cannot help but to divide stress into positive and negative stress. Knowing the world we live in today, which is a world of compromise, we try and dig around everything the trenches that go so deep that give us a place of reasoning because we live in a society that embraces information and has advanced it beyond measure. So often, when we are under stress, we push away people who keep invading our space our society craves for sanity, and our sanity cannot come unless we have our space and our private time, which we depend, which we defend at all cost. And how would it be when we are grieved? I have worked with sick people and uh, specifically terminally ill people, for over 10 years in this country. And I have learned so much, just to say one among many, that when people are grieving, there are some people who desire to be left alone so that they can address their pain in their own way. And I have also learned that there is no right or wrong way of grieving because we are so different and so we approach our stress and our challenges very differently. If people don't cooperate with us, 
to provide the space that we require or our privacy as it is, or if people don't observe what we commonly refer to these days as boundaries, we get nasty about it. And we can raise our voices and say, don't push me. Because we are a society that is very sensitive to the following. Number one, time. Time is an element that is of great concern to everybody. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but if I was to be allowed to exercise my freedom from the pulpit, I would ask how many people have watches. And I know that so many of us do. And even those that cannot show their watches on their wrists are putting a lot of focus on their cell phones that tell them what time it is. I'm talking to a congregation that responds to the bell before the service begins. So I know how sensitive time is to you. The other thing that we cry for, as I forementioned, is space. And of course, not to mention security, being a concern of everybody. Knowing what is happening in our nation today, how innocent people have died because of other people who have no regard at all to human life and dignity. We know of the wars that are raging in our world today. Our concerns go to Israel and Gaza, and our hearts break with the loss of life among so many people in that part of the world. And some of us are praying ceaselessly for God to intervene, to bring peace, because security has become a great concern for us, that right now as I stand before you, thousands and thousands of people are losing their lives in Iraq, because if you are a Christian, they kill you. And the bishop has just cried out loudly and said, listen, the silent world, if you don't respond, we will all be finished. And for those of you who travel, needless to stress that removing shoes and being checked left and right and being turned around in circles is not one of the easy and comfortable things. But we have to face them because of security measures. The other concern for our society today that we are sensitive to is the whole aspect of budgets. You know, you want to put something in line with your budget. You want to live according to your means. Because if you stretch yourself too far, then you knock on the door of trouble. And very few of us want more trouble because we have enough. The gospel today, the gospel reading which was read very, very clearly to us, brings to us a situation of a great crisis. You will agree with me that uh, this situation had not entered into the church politics for the committee to plan for a budget to be come up with that will cater for emergencies like this. It was spontaneous. The spur of the moment. And things just happened. 
But the saddest part of it is that Jesus is grieving the death of his cousin, John the Baptist, who has just been beheaded and buried. The disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ had worked, toiled, and they just came back to give him a report of what they had done. And one of the reports that they were giving was the sad news about the death of John the Baptist, who was so dear to Jesus. And so after that sad news, and with these tired, exhausted men, the disciples, they asked for space. They needed time for themselves. They wanted boundaries set so that they could address their own issues. They could discuss their own stress and regroup again so that they could see the way forward after gaining momentum. So Jesus suggests that they enter into a boat and go into the sea somewhere isolated from the crowd. Because sometimes the noise of the crowd and the interference of those around us may cause us to live below our heads. And yet God is calling us to live above our heads. And so they live, they move away from the, the people. And Jesus is addressing his grief. He's just lost a cousin, somebody dear to him, somebody who paved the way, somebody who shouted to the silence of that moment and prepared the hearts of people for the coming of the Messiah. And when Jesus comes and when Jesus is baptized, when he rises from the water, when heaven beckons what is happening down on earth, and God in his throne of grace begins to shout the acclamation that this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The Holy Ghost comes upon Jesus. So John is a center uh, stage in the life of Jesus. And his death must have led our Lord Jesus Christ into a lot of grief. And so, what was important at this time for the disciples and Jesus was the unsuccessful endeavor to have a moment of vacation, even though it was so brief. Because immediately the boat started to sail across. Crowds had set their eyes on the man who had answers to the myriads of questions that were troubling them. And they set their eyes on the boat. And as Jesus was moving away from the commotion of the time, from the noise of the moment, to have a quiet time to regroup, to address his own grief, and his disciples exhausted after a long, long, long toil of, of service. The Bible tells us that the crowd started surging in big numbers. And their eyes were on the boat. And they were running and they were targeting. And they were setting their eyes on where the boat is going to stop. Because Jesus had something that had raised them beyond their heads. So people were running along the shore. Keeping Jesus' boat in sight. Calling to others. Telling others also where the boat was headed. And they went on and on and on and on. And kept calling others. And the crowd kept swelling and surging to a greater multitude of people. The crowd anticipated where the boat was going to land. By the time the boat's bottom 
crashes onto the rocky beach, the shore was already flooded with people, with needs and desires in their hearts. People had heartbroken family members, people who were sick in their bodies, people who were troubled emotionally, people who had all kinds of challenges in their lives were waiting for this man who was going to speak to the need of the hour in their lives. And so, Jesus comes, and the crowd is there. But the Bible says that something compels him, compassion in him. He looks at them, and they look like sheep without a shepherd. They were lost and desperate. They were hopeless. They were sick and ailing. They were hurting and lost of words. And wondering, will anybody ever reach out and touch us? Will there be an answer, a solution to the challenges of our lives? So Jesus gives them the spiritual food. He talks to them. He stretches his holy hands upon them. He touches them and heals them of their diseases. They are yelling and crying for joy. They were tired. They've been running and timing and waiting for this moment. They had not eaten. They were hungry. And time was running out. I say time is crucial and sensitive to our moments today. So the disciples, they went to Jesus and said, we have a problem. One of the things I have learned in this culture, if somebody comes and tell, tells you, we have to talk. Does anybody ever come to you and say, we have to talk? you be, uh-uh. <laughs> you know. They said, Jesus, we have to talk. There's a problem here. And Andrew comes to Jesus and says, well, you can see, time is running out. These folks are tired, they are hungry, and they have to go and find something to eat. So, release them. And Jesus turns to Andrew, Peter's brother, and says, uh-uh, they ain't going anywhere. You got to feed them. What? This multitude? If I came to Holy Trinity and the crowd sighed out here and I came here and uh, told Sarah, Father is not here. We have crowds out here. We have to feed them. The vestry, the vestry will turn red. Do we have that budget? Was it planned for? We have meager resources. That's what Andrew says. We are not men and women of big means. We are limited in resources. We can't do it. Jesus, this is a mission impossible. It can't work. Logically, it can't work. So, Andrew is speaking within his capacity, mental capacity. 
This is why I want this church this morning, if you agree with me, to rise above your heads. Because this guy is reasoning from his mental capacity. He is bringing logic to the table. And he is expressing facts that Jesus cannot refute. That this is a crowd you cannot even imagine to begin to feed. It's logical. Andrew represents you and me. Who want logic. Who want reasoning. In all the decisions and choices that we make in life. We have to look at the pros and cons. We must weigh and consider options. Is there any other way? So Andrew brings up an option. Release them. Let them go. And find food somewhere before the village, in the villages and towns before the, the, shop, the, the stores are closed. That was a solution that can come when we are at the level of our heads. But God is calling us to begin to graduate, to begin to rise above the level of our heads, to begin to see solutions to problems of our time and of our age today solved above our heads. Andrew is not alone. He has a buddy called Philip. Philip is good in maths. So he has done the math. And he comes to Jesus and says, yeah, it can be done. But you know, somebody has to work. He brings in, you know, workmanship and work hours. And he says, according to my calculations, looking at this crowd, we need like eight months uh, kind of wage bracket. In other words, we need thousands of dollars to feed this crowd. Philip was speaking from the level of his head. He believed, like Andrew, that matters of life and death can be solved at the level of our mental capacity. That we can reason God. That can we, we can question and query the miracles. That we can doubt and shade some doubts on some factors that are fundamental about our faith. That we can begin to allow others to eat into our space and push us out of our peripheries and convince us that there are certain things in this book that are impossible. But God is above the impossibilities of life. So Jesus asks a question that does not sound very academic. What do you have? And of course you and me agree that uh, we live at a time when it is easier for us to talk about what we don't have than what we have. If I ask you now, what do you have? You would be very uncomfortable. Where, where, where is he going with this? What does he want? And the whole idea of space and boundaries will come in. And privacy. True or false, Judge? True or false? But when I ask you what you don't have, some, some I can tell. When I stand outside there, I, know, I will know you don't have a Mercedes Benz. Because I will see you are driving something different. If I stand outside there, I will know that you don't have glasses. You don't need to tell me you don't have glasses. But Jesus is touching on a sensitive nerve here. He's asking these folks, 
what they have. You don't want people to ask you what you have, do you? If I stand outside there greeting you and say, what do you have, buddy? How would you respond? That's none of your business. And you are right. It's none of my business to know what you have. But Jesus is taking them to that sensitive area and touching on that nerve. And so Andrew comes back and says, come on. You, You asked for it. Here it is. We have some stuff here. Church, help me. How many, how, how many loaves of bread were there with this little boy? How many? Five. Five. For thousands of people? You see, the Bible talks of 5,000, but scholars tell us that there must have been between fifteen and 20,000 people. If you want to challenge that calculation, start looking at the number of women and children in any faith group. So, these people are many. So, this is nothing. But Jesus says, bring what you have. So they brought. And what did Jesus do? Help me preach. I'll talk to the treasurer so that I can share with you the whatever I'm given today. So help me preach. Okay? I want to hear you talking. <laughs> you know, there are issues in life that go beyond what our minds can settle on. When Mother Teresa had a calling and a burden, that tiny little woman, he went, she went to the superiors and said, I have three pennies. And a dream from God to build an orphanage in Calcutta, India. They laughed. <laughs> what? Three pennies? What can three pennies do? Church, Mother Teresa knew that very little, a tiny little thing, three pennies, and Jesus, when you raise three pennies above reasoning, when you push it beyond logic, three pennies and Jesus can do a lot. Jesus took the five loaves and fish and blessed it and gave it to the crowd. Little is much when God is in it. Little is much when God is in it. God picks the ordinary things in life to make extraordinary things that are of humanity. There was a man named Thomas. God gave him good life. He must have honored his family so much that God blessed him with long life. When Thomas was called to be with the Lord, all his fears had gone 
to me at all. And very few friends and family members would be there to attend his funeral. So on the day of the funeral, an elder from Old Thomas Church went to the funeral, went to the cemetery. And when he reached the cemetery, he found a man with a rain jacket. It was a rain morning. The rain jacket was rain, and the guy was there shivering. The procession went, and when old Thomas had been put in his final resting place, the man who was shivering at the gate with a rain jacket on came and stood and marched and shouted and saluted old Thomas with a salute of respect. And so he was given the honors in his house at his greatest time of need when his funeral was attended by only two people and a celebrity staff and I don't know how many angels. His departure from this life was marked with dignity and respect that he deserved, which nobody ever thought of. On their way out of the cemetery, as they walked and went, the friend of Thomas turned to the man who was shivering and asked him, Who are you? But the wind blew off his rain jacket, and this guy realized that he was a brigadier. I say, how did you know Thomas? And the man said, Thomas was my Sunday school teacher. And I was one of the worst boys in class. But he worked so hard to make me who I am today. The honor and respect that I bring to my country is because of the man we have just buried. You know, little things with Jesus, little things with God, will be magnificent. This is a faith process. And I want to end by saying this. That it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And it will never matter what weight is upon your shoulders. Jesus is saying... Bring it on. Bring it all. You may be sitting on issues, sitting on your health, sitting on your finances, which are bothering you. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a relationship. Whatever it is, Jesus is saying, bring it on. Bring it on. Don't sit on it. What do you have? Bring it on. And bring it all. Because Jesus desires that whatever is pressing you down, whatever is the cause of stress in your life, Jesus is saying this morning, when you bring it to me, I will raise it above your head. And when I raise it above your head, it will mix with the divine powers that cannot be challenged by circumstances and situations of this age and time. And when Jesus is involved in your business... I tell you the reasoning and the power and the capacity and the operations and the dynamics that will begin to play will be above the reasoning of man. So Jesus wants to raise us above our heads. And he is calling us to bring what we have. Bring what you have. Bring what you have. Bring it on. 
Bring it all. Because I want to raise it above your head. This is what he did with the five fish, with the five loaves and two fish. He raised it above the heads of the doubting Thomases. And men and women were filled to capacity. The excesses were counted and the baskets were full. Jesus is looking for basket bearers in this church today. Jesus is looking for men and women who will obey the order and the call to bring what is pressing them down. The challenges of the moment. Bring them to Jesus. Bring it on. Bring it all. I can raise it above your heads. And when I do, you will become basket bearers who will carry the goodies of this time to a hurting world and will make a difference in Hudson and beyond. That is the calling. Whatever we sit on, he is more than able. Last story as I go to sit. There was this little boy who was in Sunday school. And uh, like we will very soon do, offertory time will come. This boy didn't have anything to give. So he looked around and he said, boy, what am I going to do? I don't have a thing. I don't have anything to give. But Jesus is calling us to bring some stuff, to bring something to him. So this boy took the courage and tore a piece of paper from the church bulletin. And on that piece of paper, he scribbled something very quickly. And when the collection bag came, whatever the scribbles he had made on that paper, he folded it and put it in the offertory bag. So when the ushers and the elders were counting the money later after the service, they found a piece of paper and they read it. And what did it read? Sister, he didn't have anything, but he had himself. So he put himself in the bag, and the bag was taken to Jesus. When you give yourself, when you give your staff, watch out. Because that little boy who wrote myself, and put it in the collection bag is the man preaching to you this morning. Jesus takes it. He took me. He took me and made me who I am today. Glory be to him.